You're listening to The Bookstorian Podcast, a podcast for book lovers and bookstagrammers. Hello and welcome to The Bookstorian Podcast. My name is Tegan and I am your host. On this episode of the podcast, Emily from At The Breakfast Book Club joins me to talk about her bookstagram. We bond over having a book-themed podcast and, in addition, have a chat about Shiver by Ali Reynolds, one of the most photographed thrillers of 2021. And just a warning, there will definitely be some spoilers on this episode. Hi, Emily, and welcome to the Bookstoring Podcast. Hi, Tegan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to speaking to you today. You are in the UK. Yes. And our lives are both very different at the moment, um, but I think it's fair to say we have a few things in common, such as Bookstagram and, of course, Shiver by Ellie Reynolds. Yes, definitely. Definitely very different in the UK to Australia. We kind of hold Australia as our standard here. Every time something happens to do with COVID, everyone's like, oh, I just wish we were in Australia. Look how they handle it. It's so much better. I'm like, well, yeah, but we're not. <laughs> It's so interesting because this time last year, we were looking towards the UK to see how you guys were handling things. Um, And particularly in like March and April, we were following a lot of the same things you guys were doing. So it's quite interesting how the tables have turned a bit. Yeah, I mean, I definitely wish people were still looking to the UK and we we were doing as well as Australia are, but unfortunately that is not the case. Yeah, but... Um, I'm sure that this has given you a lot of time to read a lot of books. Definitely. (laughs) Um, I think I read more books in 2020 than I've probably read in my whole life. So if there's Um, any kind of silver lining, it's all that addition to your library. (laughs) And one of the, one of the ways I always like to start my podcast to get to know my guest a little bit more is to start with an icebreaker question. So the question I have for you is what book did you most recently not finish? So this is a little bit of a cheat because I might end up picking it back up again at some point. Um, but it was The Lamplighters by Emma, I think it's Emma Stone, but it's got an X on the end. So Emma Stone X. Um, and it's a net galley book. So it's out in March. And I've heard lots of people say, oh, I loved it. Someone's listening to it on audio and they're loving it. But it's historical fiction and a mystery I'd say so I only read about 40% of it and turned it off but it just wasn't for me there were so many well, there was like six characters and they were all quite similar I think because they were stuck out on a on a lighthouse there wasn't much going on in their lives so you were like how I couldn't differentiate between the characters and I just I just wasn't feeling it but maybe once I've got a bit more time like on a weekend I might pick it up and just power through because I've heard it does get better but yeah that was the most one the most recent one I've put down and sometimes you need to just take a break from a particular read too and and come back to it as well I've read a lot of books in January like I powered through about nine books lots of different genres some of them audio books some of them physical and then I've hit February and I've actually only finished one book in total and to think we are towards the end of February already and I've only read one um, is a little bit jaw-dropping but when I was having a look at my stats from last year I actually didn't read a single book in February last year either 
So it seems to be something uh, that's a bit of a trend. I steam through January and then run out of puff by the time I get to February. Yeah. But the most recent book that I didn't finish was The Chicken Sisters by KJ Del Antonia. And this was a Reese's book pick towards the end of last year. And I'm always picking up the Reese's book club picks because I've never really had a bad experience with one. So titles like the henna artist by Alka Yoshi. What's some of the other ones that I've read any like big little lies. Um, a lot of those sort of titles and reads I've absolutely loved and adored. So I was hoping that this would have the same effect and it just didn't. I thought it would be a great holiday read when I got to it, but it just, I don't know. It, it, I thought the classic sister rivalry might be funny that it mentions within the book, but I got about 50% through and I was like, I'm just, I can't continue with it. I'm not actually interested. I don't care what happens to the characters. And I think for me, that's my biggest sign when I know don't bother putting the next few hours into reading it. If you don't care what's going to happen to the characters, put it down, pick up something else. So yeah, definitely. Something that we both share in common is our bookstagrams. And we both had bookstagrams before we started podcast. So for people who haven't come across your bookstagram before, can you describe your feed for them? I would say, well, I hope it's quite cosy. Um, there's a lot of like books. It's obviously in the UK, we're stuck inside. So most of the books are in the house occasionally. Um, with some breakfast obviously it's the breakfast book club I only tend to post my reviews with a breakfast though so would never I say would never it's not it's not that deep where I wouldn't tend to post a breakfast with a book that I haven't read um, but that's just the format that I sort of fell into um, so I've only been doing the, the bookstagram since June 2020 so it's just sort of been figuring it out as I've gone along, really. And then I had the idea to change my preset and theme seasonally. So I got quite a warm autumnal theme back around October. And I just haven't been able to part with it. So I think it's here to stay. Every time I try and edit my pictures any differently, I'm like, mm, no, it's not really for me. So definitely those warm, cosy vibes year Lots round. <laughs> And apricots as well would probably be the different colours that I see or like a pop of pink, uh, which is really nice. Yeah. And it, it definitely looks unique um, on my feed as well. And I, the breakfast just always looks so delicious. So why did you choose to pair breakfast with books as your Instagram handle? So it just sort of came about really when we were in lockdown, I watched the breakfast club the film for the first time I'd never seen it and after that I was like trying to come up with a name and my boyfriend actually came up with the breakfast book club so he he likes to take credit for that part but in time like I always knew I'd sort of share food with a book but I didn't I thought it'd be a bit more general I thought I'd be in restaurants and having brunch but I've had to get a bit more creative and make the breakfast myself which is great because I mean, you have a nice breakfast. I used to just have toast and now <laughs> it's like mixing it up every day. How do you make your breakfast look appealing enough to take a photo of it? So this is so hard <laughs> because as well, because obviously you're going to eat the breakfasts. You have to get the shot. One, whilst it's still hot and two, like 
you have to make sure it looks nice. Um, so I tend to set the whole scene before the breakfast's done. Take some like placeholder pictures, so to speak, like test shots. And then as long as I know everything's aligned, go in with the breakfast and just hope, hope it ends up being placed nice. I don't tend to do reels when I'm doing outs because it was just so difficult to get the reel, make sure the breakfast was aligned properly and then still hot enough to eat. So I sort of gave up with that. <laughs> and oats in particular aren't the most uh, photogenic of breakfast foods to take a photo of no. unless you have some nice garnish <laughs> to put on top. Yeah, like a lot of fruit or chocolate. That always helps. If there's a bit of chocolate in it, the posts always seem to do a bit better. I think <laughs> everyone's as a chocoholic, just like me. That That's really interesting that you say that, is that chocolate is the the food that seems to get the most likes within your images. You also do some really beautiful flat lays as well that don't necessarily always have breakfast in them. And they just sometimes manage to look so effortless. How do you get your flat lays to look like that? Well, I am glad that they look effortless because sometimes it it's a lot of effort. Sometimes it will, like, so once or twice there's been times when I've just put books on the bed and I've gone, oh, actually, that looks really nice. Like, I'll just take that picture. It wasn't what I was intending. And usually they end up doing better. And then the ones that I spend ages on, uh, people are like, oh, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> Um, but in terms of like the flat lays with, like I like everything to be evenly spaced just in general. That's where my eye goes. So if anything's off, it, I, it throws me. So I tend to take a picture and I can't tell that it's off by looking at it. But as soon as you see it, when you're ed editing it, you can see like your eyes just drawn to like the wonky book. So we always take a picture and then put it into Lightroom to edit and as soon as that presets on you know what's out of place then so you can just go back before I remove anything. That's even a really good piece of advice for people who are starting out a bookstagram is to definitely have a go at actually taking some photos and potentially editing them while your props are still out or your books are still out before you realize you've made a bit of a mistake, whether it be you've chopped something off a photo or a book's wonky or a prop is reflecting some kind of light in an odd way. I, I think that's yeah quite relevant to share with people. And something else that we share with people is our love of books through the medium of a podcast. So share with my listeners some information about your podcast. So it's called the Breakfast Book Club um, and it basically follows... There's four set questions and the overall premise is the book that's most important to the guest. So I'm always joined by a guest. Um, we talk about what book's important to them, what we're both currently reading, any anticipated releases for the year. And then there's a few quick fire questions at the end. Um, so far it's been really fun. I think I'm on episode four. Yeah, I released episode four this week and I'm loving it. It's completely different to like bookstagram because obviously you get to discuss the books a bit more in depth with somebody or when you post a lot of the times you are talking to yourself um but yeah it's been really fun and even just sharing your love of reading with other people who aren't necessarily your friends so sometimes getting a guest on who's in another country completely 
is a really great way to have a decent chat about a book or expand your horizons a little bit. And I really like your question format, particularly asking people what book is important to them because it would reveal so much about a person. It would reveal so much about what they value, what their belief system is potentially. And yeah, that, that, that really core understanding about someone else through the literature yeah, that I they think read. It is really interesting. I've had so many different responses so far mm. and it does you can tell even just by what people choose not necessarily how they discuss it it just opens up everything not everything about them but you know yourself when the book that's most important to you there'll be a reason for that and I could read it and go oh I didn't, it was all right didn't really like it whatever but sometimes a book just holds such a special place it's nice to share that with other people and see what theirs is. Because reading is such a personal thing and, and it's so open to people's personal tastes and their own experiences. Because every time we pick up a book, we're bringing our own experiences to what we're reading and our own understanding about the world around us. And, and everybody sees and views the world differently. So they're going to have a different experience with the book that they read. One book I think is fair to say that we have a similar experience with is Shiver by Ali Reynolds. And after seeing you rave about it on your bookstagram account, I immediately ordered it from my local bookstore. Um, for those of you who are listening, some fun facts about the book that you may or may not have heard before. Ali Reynolds, the author, this is her debut novel, and she herself actually has a background in snowboarding. So from the different sponsors, the different jobs she's had to hold while trying to make it in a snowboarding world, the dangerous tricks and all. So she's definitely talking from her own experiences when she's writing this book. The initial title that she took to the publishers was The Icebreaker, which is named after the game that the characters play within the beginning of the novel. However, the publishers didn't think that that was a strong enough title and they, come up, they came up with the title of Shiver, which is actually mentioned a few times within the text. So I like it when a title is embedded within the text and it's, sometimes it's even like glossed over. It doesn't have to be overly obvious. This is just a quick little summary about the book. It is set in an abandoned ski slope with lots of Agatha Christie, Lucy Folly vibes and Miller, our narrator, along with Curtis, Heather, Dale and Brent, unite to commemorate the 10 year anniversary of Saskia's disappearance. So Saskia is Curtis's sister. The catch to this little memorial holiday is that nobody else is around when they turn up to the ski lodge. And essentially cue some spooky music set the tone for the ultimate locked door style mystery. What did you think of the ski lodge setting within the book? I loved it. Um, so I was actually supposed to be snowboarding this week. Um, and I've never been snowboarding before. So I was reading this and I was like, should I carry on? And I was like, <laughs> but surely nothing like the book would happen on my holiday. You'd like to think. Um, but yeah, I loved it. I thought it was really atmospheric and you could tell that Ali Reynolds was a skier or snowboarder herself because it was so vivid in what she was saying and how she was describing things that you would, I mean, you could research it, but I just felt like you could tell that she hadn't, that she just knew it. And even after the research, 
you still wouldn't necessarily know how it would feel to fly through the air at certain times or to risk um, breaking your neck if you were doing some <laughs> of these kinds of experiences. So I think she definitely has that unique lens that she uses when she's writing. And agree, I thought that a haunted, well, not haunted, a, a very, a, an abandoned ski lodge where people frequently come and go, but then that is left so empty for majority of the year is a perfect place to set a, a thriller. Um, I loved as well that the character itself actually, I love as well that the place itself actually became a character and turning that storm on right at the climax of the story when they're trying to evacuate and to get out and then Dale goes missing. That whole moment was so beautifully orchestrated within the text and even right down to towards the end of the novel when it talks about the concealment of of the ice and the snow and the fact that it can actually um, conceal bodies for years and it's not until years later that a body might actually turn up and no one's got any idea about what's happened to them because they've been in the ice for so long. It also reminds me of, of learning about Otzi, the Iceman in history and that a, a essentially like a Neolithic man was found in the ice centuries and centuries later. So it, it definitely rings true what the ice can do and what it can conceal in that kind of environment. And speaking about concealing, did you suspect any characters were concealing the truth? Was there one more than an, than other? Was there one more than another that you suspected? So I think I changed my mind all the time. It was it's one of those books, isn't it, that you can read one chapter and go, it was definitely them, and then you read the next chapter and you go, oh, but actually, it was definitely them. That's what a good so, film does. I totally think yeah. that's what a good thriller does is it keeps you guessing and keeps you on your toes. Yeah, but I think for the most part I did suspect Brent. And then when she was saying about how lovely he was, I was thinking, was it? But he seemed so like on edge in present day that it didn't seem like the same character that they were talking about 10 years previously. So I was like, maybe he's changed because he did killer you you don't know <laughs> that's really intriguing because he was the one i thought was the least likely to have done it but i and i think that's exactly the way the author wanted me to think throughout the stories is to not suspect him i actually suspected heather and it's because so many other thrillers that i have read in the past six months always seem to point towards the seemingly like innocent and helpless female character. And I say that doing inverted commas over Zoom to Emily <laughs> because they're definitely not, uh, but they're certainly painted in that way. So one that I can certainly think of is The Guest List by Lucy Foley. I hopefully haven't spoiled that for too many people. I was just thinking that, like the same thing. I, I didn't guess The Guest List either mm. because she was painted as just... Oh, I don't want to give too much away, but yeah. <laughs> the character you ended up being, you would never have guessed because of that helpless damsel type character. Yeah. So it was through reading those sorts of novels. I was like, mm, hang on a minute. Um, 
And I also, I just didn't think Miller would, was going to be directly linked to the death at all. And I know that she had kind of revealed quite early on, like, nobody knows what I did. I'm not going to tell anybody, but I just thought, oh, that's too, that's too open. You probably just said a comment and don't even worry about it. It probably wasn't even your fault. And then right, I think it's at the last page, it reveals that she had actually given Saskia sleeping tablets and could potentially have concealed the, um, the concussion or the suffocation of the main character. I thought that was brilliant how it was sort of, oh yeah, by the way, I also gave her sleeping tablets when I gave her a coffee. And it's like, oh, so you actually were involved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really liked that because it wasn't, you were trying to figure out who it was and who done it, but, by the end you were like oh so no one actually intended to do it but there was a lot of people implicated as well so there was there wasn't one clear-cut answer that sometimes you're hopeful but I don't think this week needs to do no I thought it was I thought it was just so well done that so many people had a had an impact on uh Saskia's death um, it's almost a little bit like Orient Express. Um, what is it? Murder on the Orient Express. Again, hopefully, not spoiling this for too many people. Hopefully, you have uh, read a bit of Agatha Christie if you enjoy a thriller. But when you get to the end of that story, that everybody's had a part to play in that person's death. And it's sort of a similar feel to it as well. Yeah. Which, interestingly enough, I was listening to an interview that the author had last, last night, actually. And she said that she had read a lot of Agatha Christie uh, throughout her life. So there's obviously some influences there at play within this story. So thinking about Saskia, were you convinced that she was actually dead as you read the story? No, I was convinced she was at the ski lodge with them. All the little clues. I was like, it is, it's her. Because she's quite vindictive anyway. I thought she's just been hiding there waiting or not even hiding, just living there, waiting for a time to come back and get a revenge on everybody. So, yeah, I was definitely convinced that she was there. And even the little things that she did throughout the story in the past time, it just made it so convincing that, oh, yeah, she's definitely still alive and taunting everybody. But I didn't think she was there alone. I kind of, I thought she might have been there with somebody else as well, that it wasn't just necessarily her. So I kind of started to think that maybe her and Odette could have been in cahoots and sort of working together to to do what what they did or to do what happened. Otherwise, I was I was also kind of thinking that Curtis could potentially have been playing along with Saskia as well. That he knew she was there and he knew. And he was a part of it all. And it was an all an elaborate plan. And then, yeah, that's not obviously how the story ends. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I definitely thought the same about Curtis. I thought he was implicated in some way. I wasn't mm. sure how, but there were times I thought, mm, yeah, you're involved in this. <laughs> and even, and so strange to have those thoughts about him because at the end of the book, he's the one I felt for the most. He lost his sister and he also had a hand in her death, even though he didn't know and he didn't do it on purpose. But I, I just couldn't help but feel for him at the end of what, what had happened and what had occurred. Yeah, definitely. 
um, and I loved that he did get his resolve at the end and you see them in I don't know whether it was an epilogue but at the very end of the book you see them in the future and you're like okay he seems he seems to be doing all right like he's got not got over it but he's moved on with his life and he's mm. happy yeah are there any parts of the book that you thought there was a bit of a gap that something didn't quite make sense or add up no not actually there were parts where I thought, why, why is she telling us this? Why is this in the book? And then obviously you read a few chapters on, you go, that's what that meant. It was definitely one of those books that like drip feed information. You don't understand why you're getting it. Um, well, I loved the format of it, how it swapped between present day and 10 years previous, because you just had to keep reading because you needed to get back to the story. <laughs> Yeah, it was definitely a page turner in that sense, that changing between the past and the present, and it would end with a little cliffhanger, like, oh, I've got to read the next little chapter so that I can get to the next yeah. bit. And again, I think that's also a sign of a good thriller. So not only do we continually flit between who we think did it, but we also are so motivated to keep reading to find out the answer. I think each of those little chapters there where you're like, oh, I'm not sure why I'm being told this, as a, as a bit of an investigator or a detective, when you're reading a story, you also start to look at all those really small, tiny details and consider what could this mean? How could this link to somebody? And I really enjoy when authors do that within their work to kind of keep the brain ticking as you go. Uh, there was probably, I think it maybe at least two things within the story that I kind of felt was a little bit of a gap. So the first one was some of the ski skiing or snowboarding terms kind of went over my head a little bit, or I found it was difficult to imagine certain moments or certain tricks potentially. So that was certainly something um, that I struggled with a little bit, but sometimes that's a good thing to, to pick up a book and learn about something that you're not overly familiar with. I think the biggest thing for me was this. So I really struggled with the idea that each of these characters would come back together after so long. And especially when you get to the end of the story and you realize that they've each had a part in her death in some way, why would they want to risk being near each other again? Why would someone like Brent or Heather who helped, who killed or helped dispose of Heather would come back and, and be like, oh yeah, cool. I'll hang out with her brother and I'll be around all these people again. I don't understand. They got, a, they got away with it for so long. I, I just don't get why all these people would risk coming back together again. Yeah, I do actually agree with that. I think um, Ali Reynolds did she, like touch on it a little bit with sending the emails from different members of the group to different people. Um, but yeah, if I was them and I thought I'd killed somebody, I would not be going back there. <laughs> I'd be staying well away. Yeah, I, I thought the premise and how it, I thought how they, they came together and the emails was really well crafted. And then the idea of, oh, we've all found ourselves here and oh no, there's, you know, there's no emergency anything. And oh no, someone's now broken their wrist or whatever she broke. What was it? A knee? damaged her knee and oh yep someone doesn't have any snow gear so we can't take them down I thought all that kind of 
thing. I was like, oh yeah, here we go. This is this is the thriller. This is the story. These are the these are the things. But yeah, I kind of I found it a little bit difficult to accept that all of them would actually want to be near each other. Even and it was to commemorate someone's death who most of them actually didn't like either. Yeah. Well, um, is there anything else you want to discuss about the book before we end the podcast today? No, I was just going to say I agree with you about the snowboarding that you said. Um, it was like another character, wasn't it? Like, obviously, it doesn't. It's not nonfiction, but I felt like I was learning about snowboarding and un- not understanding the tricks because I'm definitely no snowboarder. But it was nice. I thought to like get that knowledge through the book. Yeah, and I think that's that's also what's quite unique about this read is that even though it's a thriller and while it might have some of those sort of tropes we see within a normal thriller, like the innocent female ends up being pinned with it and the the, the setting itself becomes a character and the who did it and the masculine characters, I thought all of that existed, but I think what was quite unique about it was this, the ski lodge setting. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the Bookstore and Podcast, Emily. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. You have been listening to the Bookstore and Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and follow me on Instagram at the Bookstore and Podcast.